everybody. This is Greg Refner on the Abstract Podcast, and we have Tim Maloney with us today, Director of National Partner Programs for North America at Zoom with us. Um, I've known Tim for a handful of years now. He was my boss at, uh, or my boss's boss, I guess you, sh- you should say, at Acton Software, where, uh, you know, I just, I've really grown to think of Tim as a mentor. And so I'm thankful that he's uh, sharing some of his thoughts with us on our, our podcast today. Tim, please say hi. Hey, uh, hello, everyone. So, Greg, thanks for having me in. And it's always nice, you know, downrange to have folks that you, know, you got to work with, uh, reach out to you and, and ask to be part of something. So um, excited to be here. This is this is great. Cool. Well, we're going to dive into kind of part two of a conversation um, that we had at the top of a mountain in Sundance, Utah, while um, I think feasting on oysters and lobster and um, taking pictures with our wives. And somehow it evolved into a sales conversation um, about different kind of tiers of sales reps. And I specifically remember you kind of um, figuratively drawing out, you know, where your D, C, B, and A players fit kind of in your sales kind of team and how you think about those. And so that's really going to be our conversation today is, what do you do with your DCBA players? Um, how you are identifying them? Is it a revenue number? Um, is it actions and behaviors? So that's going to generally guide our uh, discussion today. But before we get into that, I want to make sure our listeners have some basis of understanding of your expertise so that uh, you know it doesn't sound like you're just kind of winging this and making this stuff up. So give us a little bit of background on uh, kind of your sales career and kind of maybe some of the highlights. Sure. Um, so thanks for having me here. And, and that was a lot of fun, uh, that conversation. Um, so a little bit about my background. So currently at Zoom for six months where I run their national partner program in all of Canada uh, from a channel perspective. Uh, before this, I came from LifeSize, which is a different video collaboration company where I ran their, I was a senior vice president and ran their worldwide channel program, about $100 million, 78 global distributors around the world. Uh, I also gave that up and ran their North American sales organization. Um, so when you and I were working together at Acton, I was responsible for sales in the mid-market world. Um, and before that, I came out of Autodesk, where I started as an individual contributor, eventually ran their manufacturing channel program, traded that all in, and got to be a part of a team that bought companies uh, and then integrated them into Autodesk's ecosystem. So I was part of a team that bought a $300 million plastic simulation company and two $40 million simulation companies and got to run those on a direct sales basis globally. So my background has heavy channel and partnerships, but probably just as equally um, direct sales. And the last bit is I had my own company with my brother. You know, I started an organization, raised seed capital through angel investors, uh, met with VCs. So I've run my own company. I've worked for large manufacturers on the channel side of the house and also the direct side. So you know, a slightly different background than I think than the traditional channel person that you run into. Yeah. Well, I mean, going to market through channel and getting sales reps at partners to do what you want when you're not the only vendor they're representing is a challenge even in of its own, right? Outside of just, you know, your direct sales team. Um, but for our purposes today, we're going to focus on your direct sales team. So um I want you to walk us through when you think about the different tiers of sales reps within your organization, um, kind of start breaking that down. What does an A player look like 
and walk us maybe down through, you know, I know we get rid of the D's and F's, so maybe we don't have to go that far, but what does an A player, B player, C player look like in your mind? Sure. You know, in, in a safe harbor statement, <clears throat> what we're about to talk about, there's, there's more behind it. One, I think the tenant that everybody should, well, I believe in is that everyone is a star somewhere, but maybe just not here or in the role they're in. Um, so, and, and two, this is my approach, right? Like I've honed it. So, and I don't say what I'm about to say callously or without feelings, but my job as the business owner, CEO of my business is to run it effectively. So I look at sales people in one of four categories and, and we all got grades in school. So A, B, C, or D. And the way I define that is your A players are your eagles. Those are the people that they're almost like weebles. No matter how you push on them, they're always at the top. And that's whether it's uh, quota attainment, activity-based management, leaning in, knowing what's going on. They are the pinnacle of what you want out of a sales organization. And those folks kind of come in two flavors. There's the unconsciously competent, and then there's the methodical A. And the first one, what I mean is we've all met people who are incredibly successful in sales and you're like, what's your secret sauce? And they're like, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) And it's true. They don't know. They sense it. They can feel it. It's all the things I dislike because I can't quantify (laughs) it. I can't quote it. I can't measure it. Right. But they do it because they just have a keen sense. And I call that unconsciously competent. They just just you hear all the time like they just know what to do. They know what to say, right? So there's that person. On the other side of the uh, curve of A players, you have the methodical kid who busts their ass, who knows the data and the math and have got a strategy and know exactly what they want to go do and measure the shit out of themselves. So those are your A players. And almost no matter what you drop on them, new solutions, new new partners, new, new territories, those are the people that get to the top. Right. So that's your perfection. I call that an eagle. Right. Feed your eagles. Your B player, the difference between an A player and a B player are usually just one or two or three missing skills. Like I'm amazing at closing a deal, but I'm a terrible prospector. I can I can get someone on the phone like a wild person, but I can't close them. I'm a shitty forecaster. Like those kind of activities that are teachable and coachable. But you probably are just one or, you know, you usually have a few of those little things that you need help on that is truly pre- preventing you from being someone I would defer, define as a top tier, always going to hit it. Those people are going to hit around 85% of their quota. You know, they're right always on the cusp of being amazing. You view them in your organization as really uh, important. You would never not have them on your team, but they might not be your first graduates. Okay. Now we get into the second two groups, the C's and the D's. Now a C player in my mind knows there's a path, but has gotten off it. And they might be wandering through the woods, right? So there is a, is a journey, there's a prescribed uh, approach to how we want the job done. And they have sort of left that. And then you go down to the D players and they don't know there was a path and they are, they are lost um, and they are missing. And now I look at how do I measure them? The first is data performance. How'd you do against quota? Size of your quota? What was your territory? Right? Those things are important to me because I always find bigger targets more interesting. That's harder to do sometimes. Um, then you get into the esoterics. What's their attitude? The impact on the team. 
One of the things that I coach in my organization is that I view every single one of them as CEOs of their business. And as part of being a CEO, right, you're part of my village. Uh-huh. And everybody loves to say, hey, it takes a village. But what people forget sometimes, Greg, is that, hey, you're part of that village and you need to help. Your C&D players tend not to be supporters of the program. You can pick them off in meetings, either making too many jokes or not speaking at all. Right. So your C player, probably your D players below 50 percent, your C player, 50 to 65, 50 to 68 percent all the time. And then you have a gap, right? And and you'll see clusters. If you did some regression analysis of your people's performance over time, you know, four quarters, five quarters, you would see clusters. Your A players, always near the top. They're usually unhappy if they're not blown out 120, 140. B players, just below 100, close. Maybe they hit it once, but then they're back down. But they're like, like, oh, it's so there. But your C and D players, you know, they're not going to hit it. Usually a C player will get it if a bluebird lands. And again, Safe Harbor statement, what we're talking about are data and performance, not the individual as a good person or a bad person. We you know, set all that aside. Our responsibility as business owners is to evaluate data and certainly people, right? But so those, those are some of the categories that you look for, at least how I measure my organizations. Okay, got it. So <clears throat> I think you made an interesting statement. You use data, you also account for people. But at a large and a larger sales team, I mean, you almost have to think that the, the data is going to be the larger indicator because is there enough time to evaluate on a per person basis when you're talking a hundred plus sales reps within an organization? You know, uh, that's where my leadership comes into play. Okay. Right. So let's backwards engineer this for a second. What are my leaders doing? Stack rank your leadership team. Where do your lead? Like this flows from the top all the way down. And so, you know, I want to evaluate my leadership team. Who are they? You know, tell me how they're performing. Are they, what kind of morale do they have on their team? Esprit de corps, the feeling that I belong to something more important than me is a great indicator of leadership. Do your sub teams, do those teams rally around that leader? Or do they talk poorly about their leadership team? And there's a lot of reasons for that, but those are interesting things that I want to go look at. Yeah. Data is important when you're talking large scale, but data only tells a little bit of the story. You know, we want to evaluate people as an individual, the territory, the performance, the requirements. And that's why that's why we put so much time into the leadership aspect, because we want uh, the force multiplier. You're right, Greg. I cannot interview 100 people. But what I can do is look at my top line leaders. How do they behave? What do they think? I can interview those people all day long. Yeah. And then move into my second round of leaders who, who are developing. How are they coaching? Do they coach at all? Is it purely just, hey, make the phone calls and hit your number? I mean, I think it's more to that sometimes. But that's, you know, you got to scale your view of what we're talking about to the size of the organization. And if you can't get to everyone, that's all right. The multi-inning game. Start with where you will have the biggest impact. Your core leadership team. Do they buy in? Do they get what you're talking about? Because what you and I are talking about, this ABCD thing, is the number one area where I start with my teams. Because most good people, you know, leaders, whether you're a first-time frontline leader or new to a role or just new to a company or like my responsibility is to save everybody. And that's what I will be measured. And my view on that is like, no, your responsibility is to make a number. 
if, if I could take a step back for a second. I do my job at, at, at Zoom. I have two responsibilities. Make my number and take care of my people. Yep. If I focus on the latter, the former takes care of itself usually. Yep. Right? Um, so, so that's an important thing. And two, after we clear, you know, finish this conversation about clearing out, when you start to rebuild, what's important to you? Right. So for me, I've just replaced, you know, I re- replaced 80% of my staff. Over so, what period of time? Six months. Okay. Okay. I got really good at assessing an organization pretty quickly based on key metrics that I look at uh, and influence. But when I interview people, I only look for three things in every candidate, chemistry, competency, and character in reverse order. Notice I haven't said anything about domain expertise. I haven't talked about knowledge. We'll get to it. But first and foremost, character. You got to have a compass that points true north of my team. And I don't care who you are. We waste so much time, especially in sales. If the customer doesn't believe you're authentic, if the customer doesn't believe you're trustworthy, people buy and sell from people, you're going nowhere. So, you know, character, who are you? Second, competency. Because I truly believe that I'm only grooming CEOs and every hire I make should be my own personal replacement, you have to be smarter than I am. You don't have to know more. Man, I've been kicked in the teeth. I have failed a shit ton of times. I've had successes, but I've had the opportunity to learn. So knowledge is one thing, right? My mind would tell you that intelligence is knowing that tomato is a fruit. Knowledge is not putting it in fruit salad, right? So you don't have to know more, but but intelligence-wise, you have to be smarter than I. Here's my arm. And when I extend it out, the tip of my finger is our CEO and the elbow is my most junior kid. And I don't care title-wise where you are, but intelligence-wise, your ass better be on that curve that if you wanted to, you could go the distance. So I only, because I don't want to hire anybody. I, my job is not to make myself look good. All right, I'm already the director. I already got here. My job is to build a winning organization. And so therefore I want to hire people better than I am, who have better thoughts than I do, who see it differently than I do, who make the program stronger. And then the last one is chemistry. Physics tells us that when we get the wavelength right, Amplitude goes up with no more energy. And most companies botch this. Do you want to hang out with this person? Do you want to do this? We're going to spend more time together on a weekly basis than you will with your families. It's a shitty trade. But it's so it's better matter. And it better get it right. Because if we're going to come to work and do this, where you start performing good to great is esprit de corps, chemistry resonance right how many times have you ever gone to something and like oh that really resonated with me that's a real thing oh yeah so physics says it's real so you know knowing that what i tend to do when i assess my organizations is i fire the d's and the c's immediately just get rid of them yeah it sounds cold but to my young managers or my new managers i say this listen you have one a three b's two c's and a d now, natural tendencies because people are good. I'm going to save everyone and I'm going to be heroic and I'm going to get everyone over the line. And that's while that's nice, it's not the program that I run. And we look at it this way if you're a player, top of the house, like, so if we think of a house, right? This is easy. This is what we talked about on the top of the mountain. When you look yep. at a house, and this house has a first floor, second floor, attic, and a, and a roof, you're a player on the roof. They are truly the pinnacle, right? And they are top of it. Your B player who is missing those one or couple skills is in the attic. 
man, they're just about to break out. They're just right there. Now, your C player, your C player is on the first floor, right? And your D player is, no kidding, down in the ground where the water table is. And, and the reason I make it that dramatic is because when I talk to my leadership team, say like, hey, I get you're going to try and save everyone, but let's think about it this way. If your kid brought home a report card that had four A's and one F, what do you want to talk about, Greg? Natural tendency is to talk about the F. Right, right. And an F takes as much effort to get as an A does just in the opposite direction. You just don't get an F. You have to work at it, right? Like you are not doing shit. You are skipping class. You are working hard. You're on TikTok. Right, yeah. So how does a kid that get four A's get an F? First, hey, you as a parent, you're culpable. Managers, culpable. Two, your kid gets an A in math, science, Spanish, and art, and an F in gym. Why are you going to crush someone about not being able to dunk? Who cares? That's not what they're good at. So skip it. Focus on the A's. Now, back to the top of the building, attic, first floor, way in the ground. When our managers, our leaders, focus energy on that D, and you think you only have 13 weeks and a quarter, 440 hours to make it, when how many cycles are you putting into that D player? And honestly, what do you get out of that is a D plus. Someone that's probably going to go from 25% quota to 27, 28, maybe 30. Yeah. It's a bad return. Your C player. Right. Same idea. You're going to take a C player and potentially turn them into C plus, maybe B minus. And I, you know, people argue, that, but then eventually get them there. Like, yeah, I get it. We don't have that kind of time. Yeah. Now, on the other hand, what if we took all those cycles that you just spent on turning a D to a D plus and a C to a C plus and hit your B players? You turn all of those people into A's because they're only one or two definable skills away, measurable things away from being top performers. This is where you get into thinking of like, all right, what is my responsibility? You know, I try to get my people to think about management and leadership of sales like a game of chess. Dumbasses play checkers. You go, I go, you go, I go. Maybe I get to go twice because I got lucky. Winners play chess in four moves. I've won this game because I've set the business up accordingly. And evaluating people is a chess move. You know, where do you spend your time? Most precious asset, time. Yep. So we want to make sure that our leaders are, are one, do they have the fortitude to make this hard decision? But when you really look at and you parse out your folks on that curve, where do you spend your time and what's been the result? Now, about this, edge case. I know your listeners may say, I've got an edge case that proves him wrong. Awesome. Wherever you draw the line, your kids want to argue. Wherever you draw a line in business, that's where they'll go. You know, when, I, when we were at Acton together, people like, what's, what is the line between mid-market and, and SMB? 10,000 users. And how many times do people want to argue around the 10,000? Like, good Lord, there are 1 billion other customers <laughs> that don't, don't even come near this line. So let's throw out the <clears throat> edge case for a minute. Right. We're not like, yes, we all have the unicorn that went with a little love. Right. Okay. But what I'm talking about are the masses in the organization. Yeah. And by and large, it does fall like this. Your regression analysis will show clusters of quota attainment. Now map out where you spend your time. And I bet you'll find that people are spending 
exorbitant amount of time on returns that aren't going to help you achieve your number. And, and so it's when we were talking, the visual helps because now it doesn't make you a bad person to say, I'm going to get rid of my C's and D's. Everyone's a star somewhere. Empathy goes a long way. Hey, you're in a role that doesn't seem to be working here. Maybe you don't have to leave the company, but for customer success or something like that. People are valuable. People are amazing. You know, how many of the C's and D's come to office every day and are like, shit, it sucks. I'm terrible at this. I'm going to get hammered. I'm living with this tension. I don't want it. Right. Because if you really wanted to be great, you wouldn't be a D player. Right. Because, because you'd be leaning in, you know, if you, when I look at folks, are you, do you know you need coaching? Are you open to it? And can you act upon it? D players that answer those three things, not D players. Those are, those are B's that we're going to save and we're going to make it. But in general, you got to bring discipline to the program. So let's talk about, so number one, responsibility, number, number two, take care of your people. If you take care of your people, number one will take care of itself. It could be made, an argument could be made that like you get an inbound demo request, right? You don't want that going to your D player or C player. You want to give it to your B player, maybe your A player. And in doing so, you help them get to their number. They're going to have a higher propensity to close that deal at a higher ACV at a faster velocity. And so even if you're looking at this, the, the tactical day-to-day items of what it takes to hit your number, you know, outside of just spending time as a leader coaching those people, you want to deliver those, those bluebirds, those return customers, those inbound, I'm ready to buy now chats to your, your top performers anyways, because they're going to felt taken care of. And in turn, they're going to take care of that lead and it's going to turn into a way to hit your number. Yeah, exactly. Right. <clears throat> Sales, people buy and sell from people by and large. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it, it's what you just talked about is the, the reputation that you build with your customer, their experience, right? <clears throat> Southwest airlines did a study on their passengers and weirdly, People in Southwest Airlines believe that when they put the tray table down, if that tray table is clean, they associate it with the engine maintenance being top notch. It makes no sense. It is what it is. So send your customers. If the person on the phone, the first time I talk to you is a top tier person who's responsive, understands my needs, takes the time to understand, takes the time to engage with me. Boy, I think that whole organization is top shelf. And you might be a top shelf organization, but you may never get that shot if the front end of the program that you're trying to save nobly gets you kicked out, right? So it's just, what are you trying to solve? What are you trying to accomplish? Yeah, I love that. So when you th- let's one more topic, then we'll wrap this up. So I love the character competency chemistry. Um, you don't talk about domain expertise. It's almost like uh, that famous quote from the CEO of Porsche, I think, you know, hire for character, train for skill, right? Look for who that person is. Are they coachable? Do they have, I think in sales, intrinsic curiosity and a desire to question everything and be curious about the world around them. Um, When you go in and you mentioned wiping out the majority of your staff within a relatively short period of time, is that the first thing you're looking at? (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, um, relatively short amount of time. Um, is, is character the one thing you're really kind of leaning into when you're making that decision? Yeah, I, th- I think performance and character go hand in hand. People who are struggling but are awesome people, you got to take a hard look at like, 
you know, in the ABCD thing right now, we're in the edge case, yeah. but that's, you know, people being percept, you know, being a leader, yep. really understanding. But yeah, I think if you're leaning in, in, in a good person, then you're a star somewhere. Let's figure out how we keep you on the team and get you in a role that is plays to your strengths. Yeah. Like be happy, be excited. I'm passionate about what I do. Um, but yeah, but if you're not hitting on all your cylinders and you're a crummy teammate, you know, the reality is you just make it easy for people like me to, I have to make decisions. We have, like, I am not here because it's, it was crushing it. I was recruited to solve problems and build a winning world-class program. Like let's yeah. make sure we, we recognize that. And we are for-profit people. I pay my folks well, so I expect a lot, but you know, are you a good person and does your data back it up? You know, are you doing the things that we need? You know, when I co- when we have meetings, are you driving the initiatives? Or are you the person telling me why not? Right. My favorite thing is when my teams tell me what they're not going to do. Like unpressed. Like, hey, you know, for someone not making their number, maybe leading with no isn't the way to go. It is just early and quick, right? So rapid assessments. I take you know, you know, are they trying? Effort matters to me because the one thing that I did not talk about in chemistry, competency, character is drive. Because what you just said is I agree, like the, the person from Porsche, <clears throat> I draft the talent, coach the skill, but you get out of the bed in the morning and you want to light it up or you do not. And, you know, we can screen for that, but I don't think you can coach drive. I, <clears throat> I can't. At least I haven't figured it out yet. Yeah, I don't so, think so. But when you find a driven person who is super smart, smarter than you, has a great moral compass that points true north, um, and fits with the team, what you are building is a pro sports team that if the quarterback is thrilled that the wide receiver is the best in the league and that the defensive offensive line is the best and they're excited that your linebacker is number one, but they don't compete with each other. Like, you know, Brady with Tom Brady would say, like, it's all about, like, I did not, I'm not here for accolades. I'm here for rings. What's the purpose? So those, but attitude makes a big difference because I think it defines who we are. That's why we scream for it, uh, because when it's easy, all of this goes out the window, right? But when it's hard, that's where you peel all this stuff back and you find out what you have. To that point, if you have one A player, two B players, and you consistently make excuses for keeping the C players and D players around, um, it starts to erode trust and leadership. It starts to, you start going like, I'm not part of a winning team anymore. I want to be traded to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers to be surrounded by, you know, winners. Like, you know, you're, you're almost inviting your A players and your B players to leave because you are okay with mediocrity and you're almost rewarding mediocrity. That's right, Greg. You know, uh, my teams, so my team that stayed with me and the new people that are leaning in with me, you know, I think they value that I'm consistent. That, that if everyone's special, no one is. Yep. And two, that, that I'm consistent. Like that, that, hey, I get accolades for being top performance. And man, that man, he hammers data and he holds people accountable. So I'm going to go, shit, I'm going to keep pushing. Your top, like, <clears throat> example, if you have a team-based quota, there you immediately define who your A players are and your D players are by one simple question. What do you think about the team quota? Your A players will hate it. 
Yeah. They will hate it because I never get the money. I never get the accolades because I'm a top ass kicker for you. And man, if we were an individual quotas, I would, I would own it. Your D players are going to give you the answer of, I love team quotas, baby. Love it. I can hide in the corner. I'm pulled along. And no matter what I do, I know that Billy is going to make it happen. Susan, she's amazing. And I, Tim, are going to be in the back. You want to figure out who's who in the zoo? If you're in a team quarter, ask. That <laughs> tell you who is who. I bet here you get real close um, around those things. Uh, and, and so you kind of look at what, are, what do you look for? Because I know what I'm doing, right? That pro sports team. Yeah. Uh, I know how I'm going to coach it. I know I'm going to run it. I know the kind of the DNA of the person I want. But domain expertise, hey, that's a plus. But, you know, when people send me resumes, people reach out like, hey, I got all this experience in this similar market. You should hire me. Like, eh, fuck, if you were really good, why are you still at where you're at? <laughs> right? Like, you're not running the show. Like, seriously, why are you not running the show? Um, and, and so for me, like, my favorite question in an interview is, Greg, tell me time you failed. What did you learn and what were the consequences? Because everybody in the interview wants to tell you how they brought water to kids in Africa and yeah. how they, they prepare for it. And you fast follow that question at, at somebody, you now get into more about who they are. Um, do they give you shitty answers? Like your D player will give you this answer. Well, yes, let me tell you about this failure. Had a deal, right? Amazing deal. Got in there, man. And the company, company's pricing sucked. The company didn't do something right. You know, it was terrible. I'm going to call that a loss. I mean, I really feel like we did something together, but you know, the company did this shit. Yeah, yeah, thanks. What you just told me, you never take accountability for any of your own shit. Out you go. The best answer I got, though, was when it, I, I hired a very junior person, way below the radar for the national program at my current employer. And her answer was, I started my own company at 24, and I did real well, and then I ran into the ground, and I made all these mistakes, and it was awful, and eventually I had to sell it for just the IP, and I lost all this money, and it was a train wreck. And I'm like, what'd you learn about that? And her answer was that I could do anything, that I'm not afraid of failure. And then I, I was like, you know what? I, I'll make you better. But that attitude, you either have that shit in you, or you do not, right? So I know what I'm looking for, and that A, B, C, D thing works with my chemistry competency character overlaid by drive it works for my if i take care of my people my number usually takes care of itself philosophy the you have to be smarter than i am because i expect you to be a ceo for me that inspires people that i'm looking for um we use behavioral interviewing right so we put a lot of effort into finding those characteristics and and a side note behavior like how a lot of companies interview. All right, so we're gonna have you talk to these 17 people. <clears throat> None of them are gonna talk. You get the same question, maybe 15 times, maybe some random questions, and it's death by interviews, and you're like, dude, you. So for me, what that teaches me is company can't make a decision. It's a convoluted process, and the policy is more important than the product. It's more important for us to have you interview 15 people. Make the goddamn number. No, the point is make the number adjust the policy. So we do panel interviews. I bring in three of my trusted leaders. So there are four of us. One, we ask all the same questions. I did 45 interviews to build my team in Q4 that, you know, uh, November, December, January. So 45 interviews. We asked everybody the same question. So I had my two questions. Everybody has their questions. You bring four people to a panel interview, you immediately can assess answers Comparison, body language, 
right? It's hard to run an interview, listen, take notes, anticipate the next question. But when you bring a team with you, hiring, most important, people, most important. So you bring the leadership with you, you have your defined questions. So two, for the candidate, yeah, guess what, kids? This isn't gonna be easy. I'm going to make the interview incredibly hard program, not to be mean, not to be um, disrespectful, but you join my program, you better know what you're in for. I'm gonna put you in environments that are difficult. And it starts here. Can you survive the panel interview? Then we get to behavioral interview questions. Greg, in today's interview, we're gonna ask you a series of questions into the best of your ability. Please answer the question from experiences from your past, because I believe strongly that a person's previous behavior is a good indicator of future performance. I'm uninterested in how anybody might solve a problem. I wanna know how you did. So we, and, and then the biggest trick of all is the first one. Hey, Greg, your resume is amazing. I'm really impressed. That's why you're in this panel interview. But your resume doesn't tell us anything about the person. Can you take five minutes and tell me about yourself? Tell me what you makes Greg, Greg. And while I'm somewhat listening to what you choose, I'm watching the clock. Can you handle a five-minute basic instruction? You'd be amazed how many people speak for 10 seconds and stop, how many people go for 20 minutes. You have failed the interview there as well because you're not aware you can't manage the clock. And hey, listen, there are a lot of people I'm going to talk to. And I know it sounds crazy to your listeners, but you must choose your own things that are important to you. And in my interviews, those are important. Can you manage a clock? Can you actually tell, follow directions? Are you going to start with the past and then transition to forward-looking statements? Usually happens. Fail the interview, right? We ask, how did you prepare for today? And then we ask him a product question. Did you really prepare? And again, it's not vindictive. In fact, it's wrought with failure. I fully expect that people get tripped up in the program. But success in my interview is, did you fight your way back? Did you, despite screwing something up, did you try to recover it? Did you, did you push back a little bit? Okay, I'm not looking for perfection. I know. I know it's hard. I know what I'm looking for. I've, I've structured this whole thing for an output. And that output is, did you, did you push back? Did you try? Do I think in the struggle you'll make it? And so remember the A, B, C, or D, while it's, it's easy to say it, we have a thought process behind what we're looking for. We have an interview program to screen for it. We know what we don't want. And, you know, we try to be very fair and consistent in this process because the output is these are CEOs that are going to interface with your customers that are going to determine the fate of your company. And does that customer buy from you or somebody else? Are they coachable? Can you, is your team high performing? All of that starts with where do you spend your time and why? You know, some companies are, Hey, we're going to save everybody. Awesome. I don't want to work there. Yeah. I know that sounds terrible, but I want to work a high performing team. And if you're willing to bust your ass, man, I got a home for you. But just because you're like, I was gold star before, let me tell you, like, yeah, don't care. Right. You know, I'm looking for scrappy. I'm looking for smart. You know, Greg, like when we met, looking for someone with a chip on their shoulder. Why are you working the third shift? Because I did what I want done faster. I can do it my way. I can work the work life balance that I want. And I don't need guidance. I'll get it done. Fantastic. How do I how, how do we make that work for you even more? Right. So yeah, but the ABCD thing, it's critical. 
tip of the iceberg of a thought process and a, a program that allows you to look that way. So this is awesome, Tim. I didn't, I didn't realize there, you, there was so much more behind just our kind of short conversation um, that we shared a couple of years ago. I am. Um, I personally love the question of tell me about a time you failed because how they answer that immediately tells you, are they going to blame somebody else? or Are they going to blame themselves? And if they blame themselves, that means they take ownership for their outcomes that they have and responsibility for what happens to them. And um, it makes me think of like Jocko Willink's, you know, extreme ownership book and Ted talk where he kind of talks about that. And it's rare to find those people, but when you do like you latch onto those people and you do not let them go because everything else around that, whether it's skills, product knowledge, domain expertise, that's all teachable, but the desire to take ownership and responsibility for your failures, even regardless of it's your fault or not, is um, a rare character trait that uh, I think everybody wants to surround themselves with. Do you have the guts to take a fastball to the head in an interview? Yeah. Will you tell the truth? Because that's what this is about. Yeah. Who are you? Character. When pushed, competency. And will you tell, you know, how do you answer it? Chemistry. One question gives you a window, but, you know, we really, you know, we've intentionally structured it. So we don't do it flippantly. It's not half-assed and it's not by, you know, we put a lot of effort to a program that may look sort of different to an outsider. But, you know, I mean, when you ask the failure question out of nowhere, right, out of nowhere, and you force someone to think on their feet, it's an amazing experience because you just learn so much. Like, oh, yeah. you know, you know, are you blaming or you're not, because that's what I want out of my leaders. I mean, I've had people say I've never failed before. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Bye. Bye. You're, not you're, interested. Because the other part of this is my job is to remove fear of failure. Because I want my people to go push the envelope. Yep. And thin air is where you're going to spin the aircraft and crash into the ground. Right? Fail fast forward. You know, what I say to my teams are, once we get through this process is, okay, now that you're here, we wanted you. You, sir, you, you, you qualified through my Q course, the qualification program. You're in. We want you here. Now, having said that, one, you come off the pitch, that uniform better be dirty. Why? Because why else the hell the fuck I need you? I could have 7,000 other people who played it safe and do shit for me. But you said you were going to be different. So go take a risk. And when your people do that and they fail, you as a leader must love them, pick their asses up, Put it back on the track because I always say to my people, like, hey, don't sweat it because tomorrow, remember that scene from Gladiator when they're in the, in the tunnel and the gate's going up? Yeah, we're going back tomorrow. The gate's coming back up, but I will go in there again with you. But get off the damn ground, clean yourself off, and let's go again because failure is, le- is learning. Yeah, I have failed so many times. But do you make the same mistake consistently? That's the problem, right? Coach them on that. But I want to absolve them of fear. Like, because when you find the right chemistry, competency, and character that are driven and you remove fear, the difference between reckless behavior and risk taking is thinking and a plan. Take risks. I pay my people to take risks. I'm not going to be number one by playing it safe and, and doing a little bit. We're going to go for it all, take a deep swing because we have a lot of thought and a good strategy. No plan survives first contact. So roll it out, assess it, adjust, and hit it, and keep going. But, you know, once you get these A's and your B's, 
How do you unlock them? Remove the fear, have their back, and always start with when the, when something goes wrong, Greg, in my organization, it's my damn fault. Yep. And when something goes right in my organization, it's my amazing people. Because the person in the field is always right until proven otherwise. And if something goes wrong, one of my reps do something wrong, starts with me. I probably didn't train them correctly. I let something go. I left the office early. I got tired. I yeah. didn't hit something I should have. And while that may not always be the case, if I can get my whole organization to think like that, they're like, hey, the old man thinks like this. Shit. Before I point a finger, did I, I mean, do my job yeah. well? Did yeah. I do my shit well? Because while that may not, you might have a legitimate, like, no, I got screwed. If you're thinking about your own performance and involvement and culpability, you tend not to go out swinging at people when there's a problem. And when that doesn't happen, and when your people don't get nervous, like they know when they've made mistakes. Like there's, like, what do you do with forecasts? Or I fuck that away. Like, yeah, come on now. But what I'm talking about is a strategy or a new approach or a new thought. And yeah. hey, I'm going to run, the, love them for it. That's why we, that's why we did the ABCD exercise and the chemistry competency character and the failure and the tell me a time, like all of it. When you get them, unleash them but they will make mistakes so be it love it move on with it and get them back in the fight because the door remember 13 weeks 440 hours a quarter that's all you get so get them rolling hot because after all that effort if you hammer someone when they make a mistake doing something cool for you and you no. lose the ship overnight overnight so when you do all of this as a strategy what you can do in 12 weeks, that was busted. Find the people that like this talk. You, you know, they're amazing. A number of people are like, fuck yeah, man, I want in on this. Like, yeah, I want to be number one. I want to be part of the number one team. Let's go take the world, right? Little bit of passion, connect the team with the mission, show them the data that you care about, how they can affect that, and let them loose, right? Don't worry about the navigational beacons because when you cross one, I'll tell you. But until, like one of my, I love the best is, Hey, Greg, tell me a decision that you have made that has scared me. <laughs> right? Uh, and when you're people like, I don't have one, you're like, hey, okay, this is the woodshed time. The first and only time that we're going to have this talk. Why not? I empower you to be CEO. Why are you playing it safe? 7,000 people played safe for me. I need you to be different, right? So are you nurturing the A's? Are you drawing out that out of your B's? You can't have conversations around extreme ownership with C and D players just by the fact of where they are at, what they're doing. Again, gross. They're blanket statements, but for this conversation, blanket statements work. And they're all related. And when you take a step back and look at the broader mechanics of your organization, the ABCD thing is critical because you can't do anything else until you unscrew that. Dang, Tim, as always, sir, over-delivered, exceeded expectations. Really, I, I love this. I mean, this is all, I mean, obviously I, I share the same feelings as you do. And um, I think uh, our listeners, I think this will resonate with some folks who, uh, who are those A players and B players wanting to be A players. And this, uh, this might scare some people. And uh, you might have some people listen to this, Tim, and go, ooh, I don't want to work for that guy. But you don't want totally. those people working for you anyways. So, yeah, and, and it is it's exactly right. I am not for everybody, right? And, and remember, it's okay. 
Yeah. Le- leaders are sort of like um, snowflakes. No two are the same. So find one that resonates with you, right? I, I'm pretty clear about what I'm building and I'm pretty clear about how I run it. And, and in the interview process, the reason we do a panel and we do it the way we do it is because that's the opportunity for that person to get a sense of what they're rolling into. Eyes open, mind open. This is the culture. You talk to me after an hour, you're pretty comfortable what the hell I'm, I'm running and what I'm about. And you're right. I think there are people like, no way. I disagree with the CD thing. He's totally wrong. Got it. Everybody, you know, free market economy. But I tell you, for the people and the programs that I've turned around, this works for me. And, and if you find some of it uh, horrifying, awesome. Why? You know, yeah. dig into it. Like, why? You know, like, I got my own plan. Fantastic. Love to understand how it could be better. Yeah. But that's, you know, learn, learn, learn. But, you know, at the end of the day, Greg, have some guts. Call your shot and attempt to do something. And if it's not working, change. But leadership, right? Heavy is the head that wears the crown. Not everybody's going to like it. So are you trying to save everyone? Are you trying to, you know, build a winning organization? And sometimes you can do it together. Sometimes those are not the same program. But hey, man, thank you for allowing me to join. And, and, I, and I hope this was impactful. And, and I really appreciate it. It's always good to see you. And, uh, and I really value the opportunity to talk. Yeah, man. It's uh this was awesome. Way more than I expected. Typically our podcast like 20 minutes and I think we're oh, yeah, going <laughs> we're going on 40 minutes. So, it's uh it's good though. I, I I didn't want it to stop. So, this was exactly what I was hoping for. Um Tim, if anybody wants to get a hold of you or this resonates with them and they want to work for you, what's the best way to get a hold of you? You can find me on LinkedIn, probably the easiest way to do it, you know, Tim Maloney. Uh I'm right there. Um you know, I work we're for Zoom now, life size, pretty easy, easy to find. Um, big, bold grape, easy to find me. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you again for your time and, um, you know, continue to kick ass at Zoom. Thanks, man. Thank you. Bye.